Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Amen. You may be seated. And as you do, let's pray. Hallelujah, 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 Lord Most High. What a glorious privilege you have given to us, to us this day, to place our hands over our mouths and to be silent. Silent in the presence of the Holy One. O glorious triune God, O Heavenly Father, who sent the Son, who descended from realms of glory, clothed Himself in human flesh, who walked upon this earth in perfect submission and obedience to Your will, who marched steadfastly to the cross, who spread his arms and his feet, took the nails, and was crucified on our behalf, and drank the cup of your wrath until the dregs. And he was then taken down and placed in the tomb. And on the third day, Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. He has shown Himself to His disciples. He has ascended into heaven. And there, O Heavenly Father, He prays for us. And He takes this inadequate, frail prayer. And He makes it perfect. And He offers it unto you. Hear the hearts of your people. Each of us has our own struggles our own battles, our own battles with the sinfulness of our own hearts, our own difficulties in walking in a fallen world. And we cry out unto you, hear us, Lord, and be gracious. But Lord, we pray not merely for ourselves. We pray for our beloved, our brothers and sisters, We ask that your hand of blessing would be upon Mike and Edie even now. We ask that your hand of blessing bringing great joy will rest upon Ryan and Riley in just a few hours and all those who love them. We ask that your hand of blessing would rest upon the Binghams and little Leah. Thank you, Lord, for your rich blessings, even as we find ourselves in a broken, fallen world. 
Now bless us, Lord, as we hear your word. May we receive it with gratitude. And by your spirit, may we respond in ways that bring you honor and glory. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We return on this Sunday to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. If you would, please either take your Bible and turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, or you can find at least verses 6 through 20 there in your bulletins. As we come this Sunday, we come with the insights of the Passion Week. We come with the insight of Easter. We come back to this book, this text, that is dealing with the problem of evil. And today we come back with the freshness of thought about the most horrific evil that has ever been perpetrated. The most horrific evil that has ever been faced. And that is the evil of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. An evil that we're guilty of, and yet an evil that was in the plan of Almighty God that He uses for the blessing of His people. I'm going to begin with verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out and see what He, what Yahweh, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint or maybe better put, His rebuke of me. And Yahweh answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul, the the Chaldean, the king of the Chaldeans and, and his nation that he represented. Behold, his soul's puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine's a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. Like death, he's never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. The Babylonians are sucking all the nations in, taking them in, conquering them, defeating them. Verse 6. Shall not all these, all these nations... Take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe or ha to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you've plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest 
on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You've forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon, that, that let me just pause, Lebanon, that most beautiful nation, that most beautiful place in that day, they could have thought of a more beautiful place. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. To a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver and there's no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. Christ is risen. The word of God for the people of God. Silence. Silence can mean all sorts of things, right? It can mean all kinds of things. The silence of someone uh, might mean, for instance, relief for others, right? Any, any weary moms out there? I mean, if you're willing to raise your hand, you can't. Any weary and tired moms out there? Those, and, and I, I gave myself away, my age away earlier today, I said those moms out there who are longing for those Calgon moments... And, and, and there's silence. What is that silence to you weary moms? It's golden, right? It's glorious. You're finally getting a break. Silence can be beautiful. At other times, mom or dad, you hear a boom, 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 boom in your child's room. And you cry out, what's going on? And there's complete silence. What does that mean? Busted. Guilty. Right? Parents of 
teenagers, at least those old enough to drive. You got to let them go do it sometimes, right? They go drive. And you tell them before they go off for the night with their friends, text me when you get to your destination, call me. And they just happen to do what? Forget to call or text you. They are completely silent. Right, teenagers? Right, young folks? What is that silence to you, parents? It's terrifying. You think of all the terrible things that could have happened to your dear one. Teenagers, young adults, and adults. When a friend that you've known, you've conversed with a lot, suddenly just falls off the map. They just disappear. They won't respond to your texts. They won't respond to your messages. They won't respond to your calls. There's a, there's a phrase for that these days. Do you all know what it is? You've been what? Ghosted. That silence, from one you know is very well alive, they're just not talking to you. That silence, it can be devastating. For those of you who've lost a, a loved one, a dear friend, a parent, a child, a sibling, a spouse, and you just would like to pick up your phone and call and hear their sweet voice one more time. What is that, what is that silence? It's gut-wrenching. Silence can mean all manner of things, right? Well, there's a demand, I don't know if you noticed it, at the end of Habakkuk chapter 2, there's a demand that all the earth be what? Silent. But why? What should such silence as a response to the demand of God, the command of God, what should such silence mean? Verse 20, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Now remember the last time when we were in Habakkuk chapter 2, I said how amazing it is that from this obscure, this little book, this little book that's so hard to find in the minor prophets, from such an obscure little book, we get these amazingly, incredibly well-known verses. We get the second half of verse 4, right? But the righteous shall live by his faith. We get verse 14, and in verse 14, Habakkuk is taking a passage from Numbers, he's taking a passage from Isaiah, he's putting them together, and you probably know it best from, from Habakkuk or hymn writer. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. We should add that verse to those other two well-known verses. Now you might know Habakkuk 2 verse 20, but you might not know it from Habakkuk. 
But if you were paying attention earlier, and if you have known of that great ancient Christmas carol, or better put, it's actually a communion hymn, a communion hymn that probably dates all the way back to 275 A.D., then you have heard this verse, and you know it. What does the hymn writer say? Let all mortal flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in His hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth our full homage to demand. The hymn offers the answer to what such silence should mean. The God who commands silence is the God who is to be feared. For He is holy, holy, holy. He is the God who is to be feared, and yet He's also the God who sends the Father, who sends His Son with blessing in His hand so that sinners might be saved and that they might come from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So shut up. Put your hand over your mouth. Be quiet. That's what the hymn writer is saying as you're singing. That's what he's saying, but does he get it right? That's what the hymn answers, but is that biblical? Is the silence that is commanded of us by God in Habakkuk 2.20, is the silence commanded of us by God in God's answer to Habakkuk's dilemmas. Is that what the hymnist gets right? Or does he get it wrong? Well, first, what were Habakkuk's dilemmas? Remember, in the beginning of chapter 1. In the beginning of chapter 1, Habakkuk basically asks, he complains, he laments, he cries out. He's been praying for a long time, and he's getting a bit fed up. And what does he basically say? God, aren't you going to do something about the wickedness that I see in the church of my day, in the church, in the covenant community all around me? Aren't you going to do something? God, why won't you do something? Are you just going to be idle? His first dilemma was that God was allowing His covenant people to commit violence, to commit injustice, to be wicked, to be perverse. Right? Right? And how about the first divine answer? Yes, Habakkuk, I've heard you. No, Habakkuk, I'm not going to sit idly by. This is what I'm going to do. How about, how about this? What do you think about this, Habakkuk? I'm going to bring the Chaldeans. And I'm going to bring them against Judah. Against my people. And they're going to come and they're going to ransack Jerusalem. And they're going to haul off my people into captivity. Okay, I've heard and I'm answering and I'm going to use the Chaldeans to discipline my Old Testament church. Which leads to what? The prophet's second dilemma. What? The Chaldeans? You have got to be kidding me. You're going to use them? They're more wicked than us. They're more wicked than the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. 
And, and Habakkuk tries to work through it. He tries to think through it with all the theology he's got and he can't come up with an answer. So he goes and he watches and he waits. And Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of the covenant, graciously answered, right? And in the beginning of that answer, in chapter 2, Habakkuk was told, you got a, you got a choice. You can live by faith Put your trust in me despite what you see. You can live by faith. Or you can be like the Chaldeans. You can be like the Babylonians. You can be puffed up. You can be vain. Yes, Yahweh would use the Chaldeans to chasten His people. And they could have given glory unto the God of Israel. They could have given glory to Yahweh. But instead they trusted in themselves. Instead, they were arrogant. Instead, they were vain. Instead, they continued in their wickedness and and they multiplied their wickedness. And the beginning of God's answer to Habakkuk was then this delineation between two ways to live. You can live by God's grace in trust, in faith, in Yahweh, despite what you see. Or... Or you can live like Chaldeans. You can live for you. You can exalt you. You can exalt and trust you or others. The choice is before you. The Babylonians, of course, they choose the latter, right? And the Lord graciously tells Habakkuk in verses 6 through 19, what will then happen to those who make that choice? He he describes for Habakkuk's sake the evil of the Chaldeans. Now what strikes me about verses 6 through 19 is the detail into which God goes to describe evil. I mean, God could have, the Lord could have simply said, Habakkuk, yes, I will use the Chaldeans, and yes, I know they're wicked, and yes, I will judge them, period, full stop, in the sentence. He could have done that, but he doesn't, does he? No, instead, he gives us 6 through 19. And I want you to see the graciousness of that in-depth look at evil. Habakkuk's really perplexed. And my suspicion is that in his perplexity, he could have been tempted to think, have I got it all wrong? Are the vices of the Chaldeans not really vices at all? Or does God just not really care? Or, or was the law of Moses just wrong? Or not? The prophet was perplexed, but dear ones, I think there's something of a danger along those same lines for us today. When it seems like the culture has gotten so rotten, what does the culture tend to then do? The culture then begins to call into question the believer's moral sanity. Right? Right is... Wrong, and wrong is right. And in the cultural rot, 
there can be, for the Christian, there can be a, a sort of a moral dizziness. And if that hasn't happened to you, praise be to God, but I tell you what, it's going to happen to our young people. It may not be it's going to, it may be it has. It may be that they and some of us are morally dizzy right now. Because you see, we hear, they hear from every side that we who hold to the teachings of the Holy Scriptures, that we are the what? We're the immoral ones. We are the wicked ones. We are the evil ones. We are the ones who are bigots. We are the ones who are on the wrong side of history. And there's the temptation in all that to begin to doubt and to ask ourselves, well, is the world right? Am I wrong? If I hold to this sexual ethic, am I wrong? If I hold to, to this biblical truth, could it be that it's not true and the world is true and I'm wrong? There is that temptation. And so see in verses 6 through 19, God graciously saying to Habakkuk and through Habakkuk to us, you're not wrong. This is wicked. This is evil. This is what evil looks like. And it will be judged. What then does it look like? Notice one of the first things he says. It, it, it looks like greed. Covetousness. For six, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Getting more, give me, give me, more, more, more. Verse 9, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm, to advance at the, at the expense of others and take in more and more and more. What is that, dear ones? It's greed. What else does evil look like? It looks like violence, doesn't it? Verse 12, oppressive violence. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Yes, the Babylonians would shed blood violently. They were oppressive and they would seek to build their empire upon that blood. Yes, this is a national thing, but this is not merely a national thing. This is a personal thing too. Dear ones, you'll see in the prayer guide in the back, we're asking that you pray for the Leslie family. Dr. Robert Leslie, a ruling elder from First ARP Church, Rock Hill. Uh, uh, the, the, the doctor for Camp Joy. One who has been so involved along with his wife. What happened to Dr. Robert Leslie this past week? He and his wife and two grandchildren. And a worker who just happened to be there at the wrong time. What happened to them? They were murdered. What does evil look like? It looks like greed. And it look, looks like violence. It also looks like perversion. 
It looks like drunken perversion, forced debauchery. Verse 15. And I will not go into detail. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. Have some more. Have some more. Have some more. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Greed, violence, debauchery, and the fountain from which they, from whence they come, idolatry. Foolish idolatry. Verse 18. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, he's just carved this wooden thing, and he says, awake, you're my God. Or to the silent stone that he has chiseled, and he says, arise. So can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver. If it wanted to speak, it can't. And there's no breath at all in it. Idolatry. That's the coarse, ancient variety of it. Hey, well, we've got our own sophisticated versions of it today, don't we? What does Calvin say about our hearts? They are what? Perpetual idol-making factories. We can find anything or anyone to focus upon all of our heart's desires instead of God. Sound familiar? Greed, violence, debauchery, idolatry. Sounds completely contemporary. God said to Habakkuk, and He says through Habakkuk to us, this is what evil looks like. And it will be judged. It's national? Yes. It's also personal. It's vile? It's also foolish. The good doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preached... The five woes recording in this chapter are, not, are true not only with respect to the Chaldeans, but as a universal principle of history. Everything that is evil is under the judgment of God. Though the Chaldeans were raised up to flourish for a while, the limit of their prosperity was absolutely fixed. The wicked may triumph for a while, but it's not going to last. They may have great temporal success, and we must be prepared for that. But as certainly as their star arose, it will go down. How does the hymn go? This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so what strong, God is the ruler yet. And God knows we need to hear that. And He knows that we need to hear that again and again. 
brothers and sisters who are perplexed by the wickedness of our culture, of our society, and of this world, brothers and sisters, He will judge evil. Whether it's the individual who never repents, or the nation or empire that is full of itself. Greed, violence, debauchery, and idolatry, they have their day, but they will be judged. Amen? So we come to verse 20. And we're expecting it to read this way. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let Babylon keep silence before Him. Right? That's what we're expecting. Or maybe we're expecting it this way. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all those wicked idolaters out there keep their mouths shut in the presence of our holy God, the God of Israel. But is that the way the verse reads? But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. God says to Habakkuk, silence. God says to Lee, silence. God says to you, God says to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God says to the nations, to the infidels, to the reprobate, silence. What's the point? God, I understand why you tell those wicked folks out there to be quiet, but you're saying all the earth be quiet? What's the point? All of us are what? Guilty sinners in the sight of the Almighty. How does the Apostle Paul put it in Romans, quoting the Old Testament? What does he say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In the light of His holiness, in the light of His righteousness, in the light of His perfection, brothers and sisters, none of us has a reason to speak. In His presence, we should shut up. Why? We are guilty. We are guilty. We are all guilty. Not just the guy who slaughtered the Leslies. We are all guilty. What did Job say to the Lord when in chapter 40 the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. How did Job respond? How did he answer? 
Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? What did he go on to say? I lay my hand upon my mouth. You're holy. I'm not. I'm guilty. Brothers and sisters, we talk too much. When you failed like Lee's failed to be silent before the Lord, railing against those evil and wicked folks out there without first talking about the sin in here, when your honest questions about the problem of evil have turned to demanding directives to the Almighty instead of humble silence, and when you feel the weight of conviction, I want you to remember another prophet. The prophet was Isaiah. And I want you to remember what the prophet Isaiah said about your Savior. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Your Savior put his hand on his mouth and did not speak. I've always wondered why. He's got the crowds mocking him and jeering him, right? Spitting at him. He's having this kangaroo court convicting him. And he's what? The perfect spotless Lamb of God. He's the perfect one, right? Why didn't he say, I'm not guilty. You're going to crucify me, but I am not guilty. You're wrong. I am innocent. He could have said that. But he didn't, did he? He put his hand over his mouth. He was silent. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, could it be that in that moment, he is becoming sin for you, for me? And as such, not because he had his own sin, but because he's taking on our sins, in the sight of the Father, he is what? Guilty. And because he's guilty, he does what? He remains silent. And he remains silent for every single time you should have remained silent. Know this, dear believer. Jesus was silent in your place, bearing your guilt. So sinner, look to Jesus. And be amazed at His love and salvation. Which brings us to the very last thing that needs to be said from Habakkuk chapter 2. Why should you be silent before the Lord? Because you're guilty. You should also be silent before the Lord because you are astounded. You are in awe. Why? Notice verse 14. 
It's that beautiful verse, isn't it? Right in the middle of all the woes. Right in the middle of all those pronouncements of judgment upon evil. What does God say? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What's God through Habakkuk saying to us? He is saying when we are confronted with the problem of evil, when you wrestle with all that's bad that's going on in this world and in your life, even when you feel the weight of your own sin and you wonder why and you wonder what Lord are you doing, know this. He is working out His holy purposes. He will render judgment on evil. And in the process of doing that and bringing down nations and bringing down evildoers, it will be even through all that that what happens? The gospel will go forth. Right? We've got a communistic, atheistic regime in China that would destroy the church. Right? And what is God doing even through and because that? He is building up His glorious church. Jim Elliott and his friends, they go to evangelize the Indians in South America. And they land on the beach. And what happens to them? A great evil. They die. And what does God do through their deaths? He uses that to bring about the salvation of that wicked tribe. He is doing that through all this evil that you don't understand and I don't understand. But I do understand this. God is sovereign. And though the wrong seems often strong, God is the ruler yet. And what is He doing? He's sending out His Gospel until the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So I have the choice. Shut my mouth in the presence of the Almighty and trust in Him. Or bellyache, complain, point to the sins of others, not to myself, and try to figure it all my, out myself. Choice is yours. By God's grace, place your hand over your mouth and trust in the one who was silent for you. Let's pray. As I've said, Lord, we talk too much. Preachers really talk too much. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Open our ears. And help us in your presence to hold our tongue, to look to Jesus, to receive His blessing, and to be sent out. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.